Uh, people who have been on the receiving end of leadership changes at MTN Africa. Uh, let's talk briefly about, uh, I guess, some of the musical chairs that has been happening there. Good point, because you think that I think people have been there for ages. <laughs> and uh, MTN actually has realized that it's not just MTN that has been changing. I mean, even back home here, you've got the new chairman in December. They also, uh, early this year, uh, established what they call an international advisory team, mm. as you know, the likes of Kabul Bay. In a way, MTN, that time to make sure that they continue to keep African... Ah, Makwe, uh, let's pause there for a second. Unfortunately, uh, uh, your line there failing us. We'll have to uh, try and get you there on a much better line. Uh, let's see uh, if we can't uh, get Makwe on a better line there. Makwe, we're back with you. Yeah, sorry about oh, that. Oh, sounding yeah. much better, my brother. Please go ahead. Yeah, so I think that's trying to make sure that they're positioned in a way that they will be able to capture the market. And remember, the guys are moving away from just being a mobile uh, a phone operator, but they're starting to do other things like moving into financial services. And you think you look into Africa itself, you've got a huge potential for them to be able to do that, let alone let alone the likes of training. So I think it's very critical that they need people that they know that for sure they'll be able to help them drive this new vision. And more importantly, our, I was disappointed, I thought as well, they'll make changes when it comes to their compliance mm. department because it has been getting them into trouble. Even yesterday, we saw the fine, you know, from Mikasa and whatever data that guys bring these people notice, you know, and we know that they had issues like that and come to Nigeria. So as much as they're doing all that, they also need to reinforce their compliance department. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Magwa, that that's where I would start. I mean, least of all after the challenges that they've seen in the in the West African uh, area uh, from a regulation and a compliance perspective, I would potentially start there. Exactly, and I mean, it shows you that it's, it was not only the Nigerian story, mm. like you just mentioned, even yesterday, and it's very disappointing, if not irritating, that they get different. And by the way, as much as they're fine, it means they are affecting the air. I think they should be deploying to grow the company or it don't know what to do with it, to pay it back to their shareholders and they continue to pay this unnecessary fine. Mm. You, are, you are very right. I thought there was that, that, that compliance department. It's someone who can read it in English. Yeah, yeah. Now, you know, Mark, the other thing that's of interest for me in some of these changes is that many of these people are sort of MTN insiders, if I can put it that way. Uh, if you if you take, for instance, the story of, uh, you know, uh, Mitwa Kayemba, uh, who is currently CEO of uh, Airtel Tigo in Ghana, you know, he had been with MTN Benin before uh, in a marketing function there, and he's also held uh, several roles in MTN Zambia operations. So uh, even a lot of the sort of... Um, Chess moves that are happening here are happening with the people who have been part and parcel of MTN for many years. I think for me, there's a way of attracting anyone coming to MTN. You know, the guys is that they're going to different roles. In a way, that that one day they can take a charge. And I think it's very critical because, more importantly, they understand the culture of MTN. Look what happened the last time when they struggled with Nigeria. They had to recall one of their own to make sure that he helps them to cut off the mess. And here they are, they're out of the mess, and the guy has left in their life. Of so I think when it comes to and it's more like parents, probably. So when 
MTN employee, always an MTN employee. Mm-hmm. Mark, the, the other story I want us to take a look at here quickly, and uh, we'll do so just after this uh, brief break. And uh, that is the story of uh, what happened when uh, uh, a donut business uh, decided to open up in Cape Town, and it seems overnight uh, many of uh, the people in the Republic of Cape Town, <laughs> uh, when uh, Krispy Kreme Donuts uh, was uh, set to open its first store, camped out overnight. And let's talk briefly there, of course, about uh, their foray into that market just after this break, least of all in a context where the likes of Dunkin' Donuts have, uh, I guess, been a spectacular failure here in South Africa. It's our business wrap, and I'm in conversation uh, with uh, Markwe Masilela, Chief Investment Officer at Markwe Fund Managers, and we continue on the other side. Do you have a vision for the year 2020 and beyond? Uh, Today, you can decide what the rest of your life will be like. Apply at UNISA before the 27th of September 2019, and you can study towards an undergraduate qualification, honours degree, or postgraduate diploma at UNISA in 2020. Application dates for master's and doctoral degrees are from the 10th of September right through to the 8th of November uh, 2019. You can apply online at unisa.ac.za forward slash apply, uh, unisa.ac.za forward slash apply. UNISA, shaping futures in the service of humanity. What is your vision 2020? UNISA, defining tomorrow. Ten minutes it is before 8 p.m. Um, in conversation with uh, Markwe Masilela, who's the Chief Investment Officer at Markwe Fund Managers. Markwe, uh, Krispy Kreme Donuts uh, certainly uh, had many people camping overnight. Uh, what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, it was stated that if you're the first one, there's some start indicating the second, the third. And in fact, these are part of the top 100. You know, that three donors that will be getting. But to my surprise, I, I, I never thought that as much as this is the 70th store, this is the first time that, that uh, a prominent place like Cape Town is getting their first store, you know. For me, I thought that that was a very nice market for them. And chances are they should have had a store already. I mean, the first store was open when 2015 or so, so but only they're getting their first store now. But yeah, it was more a question of, Having 120 people camping out, so hundreds thereof are guaranteed, you know, to be the first one to, 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 to set their food, they, they, they are in the store, and they'll be able to get whatever food donuts for a third of a year or so. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, when you look at uh, Krispy Kreme Donuts, maybe just if you can give us some context here. Uh, yes, Krispy Kreme Donuts might be the brand, but I'm quite interested in the company that has brought it here. And uh, wh- um, on what basis they feel they'd fare better than maybe a Dunkin' Donuts, which uh, by all accounts has been a spectacular failure. And I think it's a set up cost, you know. The way they went around, you know, the lights of Grand Parade when they were taking the Dunkin' Donuts, it was quite expensive. And it's not only them, they even look the lights of taste. The way they've been trying to set up that bring about the life of Papa. It's very expensive, but now their model works better because now I think for the decent number of outlets where you have uh, them inside pick and pay, so in a way, you know, that managed to generate an interest and also start to generate income for them. Mm. So you check the number of stores they open. I think their model and also using the engine uh, filling stations as well kind of work for the guys as better. They are more successful than other ones. And in my opinion, it's more of the setup cost compared mm. to the other ones. And like I mentioned, the likes of trade. I mean, how many Starbucks do we see these days? You know, they're taking that to open and because it's not cheap to open now, then not because there's no demand. So I think they've got like, in like, setup cost. 
and I think going that way and still people like that are happy to continue to have them in their shops even though they've got their own data. Mm. And I guess, you know, you know, it's, it's sometimes easier to piggyback on an engine or even a pick and pay in the case of uh, Krispy Kreme donuts as a way to just test the market, which is what they've done, as, as you said, uh, with various engine petrol stations around the Joburg area, uh, likes of Kruger Store, Auckland Park and uh, many others having these uh, Krispy Kreme donut uh, stalls. But um, how have they fared, I guess, at a um, pick and pay? And uh, more importantly, uh, what would they have done with some of those numbers uh, to inform how they launched in this kind of way in the Western Cape? I think it's more a question of they just need a shelf, and so far they've been doing exceptionally well. And by all means, you know, I don't know what is the has been South Africans or whatever. For the fact that there is an American company, you know, want or feel that this is my nice that really, and it's easy for people to opt for that instead of their normal donors. I mean, whether it's cheese or others, you know, people made arguments that hey, people are moving away from sweet things, are trying to be more healthier. But it should be told. Or you just need that thing, you know. Even if you are trying to deliver some health care, you want to. But yeah, as you said, they are modeled by in the market, and by in the market in the process and money, then they use that to go and go and open another shop. Because if you look at the two companies, they're offering the same thing, but now you ask yourself why the other one was and it's more of the top cost more than anything and managing to make sure that definitely there is a market for them. Yeah, yeah. Mark, well, let's talk just uh, briefly now about uh, Jack Ma. Now, uh, Jack Ma has uh, exited stage left from uh, the company that is built here, global e-commerce giant Alibaba. Uh, let's maybe just for some of the people who might not be familiar with what Alibaba does, uh, just explain what it is that they do and uh, more importantly, uh, how monumental uh, you know, uh, a development this is uh, for J- Jack Ma to, I guess, leave and also leave having uh, anointed, if I can put it that way, his own successor. You know, the company is worth almost $450 billion, and uh, the company more as an online marketing company, which now is developed to one of the big uh, companies when it comes to e-commerce. And the guy did manage to set himself a target. This is the former teacher talking about that he would like to see that his company become a top 10 e-commerce company. And apparently the way he started, he just got his computer to and then he was just searching the internet with beer made from China. And to his surprise, there was nothing. Then he realized that there's an opportunity here. But it should be that it's one of those rare breeds, you know, who are able to see him to make sure they run with it. Remember, the guy doesn't even have breakfast in finance or in computing, but the guy had a vision, and he happens to be the richest guy, you know, uh, in China. You can easily call him that he's the Bruce Lee or the Chiki Chang, you know, of the internet, you know, when it comes you know. I mean... You said he's the what? Wait, 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 Marco. You said he's the what? He's the Bruce Lee or Jackie Chang of the internet <laughs> in China. Okay, sure. And he's a very humble, humble, humble guy. And, you know, this situation, and people know when to leave. The guy is only 55. There's a lot of energy. He can still run the company if he wants to. And apparently, when it comes to... He's the only one who's the founder who has just managed to leave his company. And I think he officially left today. People still hang on to their companies up until they can them come. But it just shows you, you know, what a kind of a person I'm talking about. At 55, you know, the guy retiring. I mean, it shows you that he realizes that he needs people with new energy, with new way of doing things to take it. 
forward mm. and definitely will compete. I mean, just as an example, one of our research guys, uh, the Richmond guys, the Rupert, have just uh, hooked up with him in China to sell their luxury goods through uh, Alibaba. So it just confirms and shows that this is a player Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you know, Mark, the, the other thing that many people might be asking themselves is what's the next big play here uh, for Alibaba? Uh, some of them have come out and said, you know, there's so much activity and com- uh, competition emerging in the e-commerce space that uh, they're starting to feel that that's a saturated space. Where to from here for them? I don't think it's saturated. You know, <laughs> if we have to see all the people are starting to do this online. Look what is happening with our banking system here. You know, people are trying to do things online. So e-commerce is the future, is the way to go. And there's still uh, a long way to go for it. We just mentioned NPM, now back home in South Africa. You know, there's still an opportunity for that unique play when it comes to Africa as well. So let that be my But in my opinion, I think e-commerce is still at the infant stage. Is that that it's making headline news because it gets to be acquired, people pay huge billions, you know, huge amounts of money. We know the likes of Nespas are also playing in that space, but that does not mean it's saturated. It's only because it's making the right headline because people are now moving into it. So in my opinion, I still feel it's still at the infant stage. Also, have to start improving on the software, improve their security, improve their speed. So there's still a lot that needs to be done. And people like uh, Alibaba with huge balance sheet, I think there's a good chance to be able to capitalize on that market, let alone acquiring startups or helping other people as well. But their huge balance sheet as well will be able to help them go forward. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe a last one on my end, uh, Marco, before I let you go. Uh, when we look at, I guess, the Chinese space, yes, there's the e-commerce space, but uh, they've potentially said we're looking to go into content. They've already signed up that relationship with the likes of Richmond in the luxury goods market. And uh, one one thinks that uh, they set to get so many margins in that space. But uh, in, in spaces like gaming, content, and other areas that would allow them to already sweat the assets they've already invested in, uh, uh, what is the prospect of them being able to be competitive in that space and uh, equally dominate as they have in the e-commerce space? Because, especially in the Asian market, you know, the resistance when it comes to Asia tend to support their own, you know. So this then a good change. You know, yes, they might struggle maybe to try to pull it in the U.S. or in Europe, but definitely when it comes to Asia, I think they still spend a better tension. Look what is happening with Tencent, the company that Nasdaq owns, owns 51%. I mean, that's the company which is driving Nasdaq to be what it is today. So it shows that if a company like that can still continue to make a large amount of or, or good earnings, then there's still a space for somebody like Alibaba as well to come and play in that, and especially, like I said, in the Asian market. And I think with this belt road thing that China is busy doing, doing infrastructure from Asia, Japan, still Africa, also that's going to open doors for them because Africa is their last frontier and they should be able to capture that. And whether we like it or not, the guy is light, and unfortunately, uh, that tends to work for him whether we like it or not. But people just like it. Check my himself. Okay, yeah, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, Mark, we a pleasure catching up uh, with you as always. And uh, uh, until we uh, catch up again sometime next week, yeah? That there was a Makwe Masilela speaking to us. He's the chief investment officer at Makwe Fund Managers. They're taking a look at the top stories and moving markets on this Tuesday as part of our business wrap.